What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio, in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back to all the smoke. You're back. Jack, you My good? Bro. I yes, like sir. your shoes, man. Appreciate Red polka it, bro. dots. You yeah. really came through this week. LV week. 
Yeah, you had me feeling like I'm in elementary school versus nah. you know, working with someone in college. I, mean, I know. you I'm, fly. Like I said, I'm just putting more pressure on you to go in that closet because it's in there. Yeah, I don't want to, though. Man, today we got a man that former number two pick, a uh, hell of a journey. Just released, uh, how long, you released your doc? We released it mid-football season. Okay. We just, we just kind of, we just, we did released it every Tuesday. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it built so it was a, it was a series, right? Yeah, we did uh, ten episodes. Okay. My story from my birth until where I'm yep. at right now, man. How was that for yep. you? I mean, you know, obviously very well documented, but it's it's been a rocky journey. How do you, are are you in a, a space now where talking about the bad times doesn't bother you? Yeah, there's a, a ton of acceptance, mm-hmm. right, and surrender to like I have no control over that anymore. Right, I can just control now, and I know that it's going to help somebody who right. may be struggling or where I'm at. And I'm super relatable now. Like when people listen to it, they go, "Yeah, that's my I dude. That I fuck too. up all the time too. Right. I'm right. just like him." And there's right. a way out of it. There's a mm-hmm. solution to it all. So, like I, I watch Tom Brady, and we have one of the most, most amazing things in common. We both play professional football. But I look at that dude, and I'm just like, I can't relate to him. He is too perfect. Right. 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 And so this was just an opportunity for me to kind of do what I do, but do it in a raw, uncensored, vulnerable, transparent right. way in my voice. Right. So it's me in front of a microphone right. for 10 episodes telling yep. you exactly your how it story. was. Yeah. No one could tell your and, story better. And really, that's the first step, being accountable. Yep. That's the only way you can you know, get to the next level where people even want to listen. You know what I mean? And that's, that was beautiful. What was it like for you? Because I remember, I mean, obviously I've been through some shit on and off the court, and I feel like it, I'll be 42 next month, but I feel like at like 39, 40, like being able to just really look at yourself in the mirror and like find your faults in what you did, being able to forgive yourself and move forward. How was that process for you? It happened in prison. Mm. Um, like when I went to prison, I'd never been marginalized before. I grew up in a predominantly, you know, white suburban um and when that judge kind of, you know, he looked at me and said, you have no value to society. I'm going to warehouse you mm. and give you a number. You know, I never experienced anything like that. So I went in there with a, well, defeatist attitude at first. Right. And for about two years, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I got fat. I got lazy. I thought I was doing everybody a, a, a service by not being in the public, being around my community. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the most selfish thing I could have done. My family wanted me back. Right. And my roommate, he was... Uh, he was an Afghan-Iraqi war vet, hmm. and he just one day had enough of my shit, I guess, and was just like, you don't understand the value that you have, not only the men in here, but when you get out, because you're going to get out at some point, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, we're going down to the prison library, and we're helping prisoners learn how to read who don't know how to read. And I was just like, well, you know, I had many of those like come-to-Jesus moments in my life, coaches, mentors, mm-hmm. family, and stuff, and I just flipped him the bird, you know, and <laughs> I... I went begrudgingly. I mean, I went maybe because I don't know why I went, to tell you the truth. But I remember walking down that hallway in this red jumpsuit and in prison thinking, this is stupid. This isn't going to help me. Like, doesn't he know how important I am? The, the irony of that and a guy in a red mm-hmm. prison suit right. thinks mm-hmm. he's still important. So I walked into this room and there's these men where you're not supposed to show any vulnerability at all because that gets you hurt. Or And 50-year-old men look at me and go, Ryan, I, I can't read. You know, can you help me? Mm-hmm. Growing up in... Montana, where there's a huge cowboy culture, mm-hmm. then in locker rooms my whole life, I'd never seen another man look at me and say, I, I'm fucking hurting here, can you help me? Mm. Never seen it, so how am I supposed to do it or understand it? And so it, it flipped a switch in terms of perspective and what I needed to do and 
it was about being of service and then it could never be about me again. Right. Mm. Selfless. What did you learn about yourself from the year 10 part series and how has the response been? Kind of a two part question. Uh, well, I, 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 uh, I didn't know if I was a great storyteller or not, but I had a really good teacher, essentially, uh, Kevin Connolly. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys are Entourage yep. fans. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Fans, yeah. So Kevin produced it with me and my mm-hmm. wife. And they know me better than anybody, and I needed to trust somebody. So when I sat in there, and we recorded probably 25 hours worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there were days where I could roll for five hours, like, but then there were days like like the prison episode. It was, mm. it was you know, the hour and a half, and I was just emotionally drained. Yeah. But I also know it's not going to hurt me anymore. It's going to be a reminder. So I think I learned that, to mm-hmm. your question there. I right. learned that from all this. And then the response has been uh, overwhelming, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never thought that you know, simply my story, but the people reaching out who are either going through something or a family or have gone through something and, and how meaningful it's been. I would have never had this kind of impact if I had, a, you know, played 20 years in the NFL, won a couple of Super Bowls. I just wouldn't have. Well, I think that's what, you know, sometimes as athletes we, we forget and then people who aren't athletes forget, like, we're normal people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think you sharing your story makes you, and, and Jack and I, you know, because we had a misconception of who we were as athletes and we've been able to kind of really tell who we are and tell our own narrative. You know, you're telling your own story, but we don't, I don't sometimes, like, vice versa, we don't realize, they don't realize, but how relatable we are and we go through the same shit but it's just on the biggest stage you right. know what i mean like we can't recover in private you like we recover in front of the world yeah and it's uh i think that just because we're good at something like like the best in the world at, at doing it that we're not really messed up everywhere else pretty much like right. i had a terrible coping <laughs> mechanisms in everything else i did like if i couldn't play football or sports in general like i i, I was a mess mm-hmm. i was bad with girls i was bad with with uh, communication, I, I, I mean, <laughs> anything right. outside of being on a court or being on a football field trying to kick your ass, that mm-hmm. was that was it. That, that was, was it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us about your upbringing. Well, it was uh, <laughs> uh, it was different because I'm the only I'm the only Montanan who's ever been drafted in the first round. Oh wow! There are more first round draft picks in the Manning family. Than <laughs> right. The Montana ever. So I didn't have a trailblazer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just breaking eggs as I went. All I knew is I wanted to get out. I wanted to be my heroes were were the Fab Five. Like Jalen Rose was my Oh dope. That was my dude, right? I wanted to be him. I cut my hair like <laughs> like it. I wore my I wore my my black socks and my my yellow shoes. And mm-hmm. we had unis like that and I and I wore them down to my knees. And I was not in a very conservative white Montana town. It was not well received. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of backlash. Um, and I didn't feel like I could be myself. And then when I finally started being myself, I wasn't accepted. And I just said, fuck it. I need to get out of this place, mm-hmm. whatever I can to do it. And mm-hmm. it was about competing. I didn't care who you were or what you did. And I burned a ton of bridges through that process, but I got, wow. you know, I got where I needed Ultimate to get goal. Um, multi-sport athlete. What made you decide to choose Washington state? Could have pretty much went anywhere. Yeah. Um, the head coach of the football team. He was gonna let me play bas- basketball. A lot of the other football coaches were saying like, "Nah, we don't, we don't." Especially want the quarterback. That's that's a risky to play anything else but football. They're like, "Eh." Yeah, and he was like, he's like, "Whatever you want to do to to keep competitive, keep that edge." Um, but I also think he was doing whatever he could to recruit me, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. He said, <laughs> "Come here, you can play whatever you want. We're gonna go to a Rose Bowl together." And I was right. Like, sure. Yeah, I buy what you're selling. Right. 
I didn't do any research. I hadn't realized they hadn't been to a Rose Bowl since 1931. Um, so it was a leap <laughs> of faith, right? It was a leap of faith. I walked on the basketball team, uh, played shortstop for the baseball team that freshman oh. year. And then after that, he came to me and he said, you know, you could, you could make a living. Mm-hmm. Got it. At doing this down. football thing. Right. Shortstop, though, that's a tough position. Yeah, that's the best athlete right it. there in baseball, shortstop. Uh, led Washington State to their first 10 Pac-10 uh, Pac championship. Finalist for the Heisman, named All-American. I mean, it seemed like in college you had everything you can ever imagine. Yeah, it was pretty special. I mean, I had a great team, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got a lot of the accolades, but, I mean, we had, f- we had five wide receivers. We had an offense line, a defense that made huge plays, and we were really senior-laden. I was, mm-hmm. I was an underclassman, but... But we had a lot of guys that had put in the work. And we had a bunch of guys that back in the day where you could do Prop 48. So I don't know if you guys remember mm-hmm. that or not. Yep. Where you don't uh, qualify mm-hmm. and they can get you to junior college or get you there sure. and get you ready to play. And we had a ton of those guys, especially from down here in L.A., um, that became some of my best friends and some of our best players. And Coach Price did a tremendous job of – I mean, you walk into a room in, in South Central L.A. and tell the mom of a, a prospect that, you know, your son's going to be up here in Pullman. He doesn't have to lock his doors, anything. Different can, life. Different life. You know, he can, mm-hmm. he can, feel, he can feel safe and, and get to be and express who he is, and that was pretty cool, and that's, I learned a lot that way too. I mean, all the accolades, you know, seem, uh, seemingly in college, what was it like for you mentally, though? Were you at that point fighting any demons, struggling, or was it, did that come a little bit later? I mean, it's always been there. I think, you know, once you get placed on that pedestal, and consequences aren't the same for you. Mm-hmm. You kind of there's a bit of arrested development. I didn't develop some of the the key things or life skills that I needed to deal with adversity. And then I always won. Like I could always go back onto a quarter field and 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 dominate. And no matter how I messed up or something like that, I'd be like, You'd wipe mean, it away. Wow. wow, you're so good. They would wipe it away. Yeah. And college was kind of the same thing. You know, yeah. if I acted out or if I misbehaved or I was just you know, and and I used the bravado of who I was on the football field and who I was off it, I, I almost had to like, Dennis Robin was a huge influence. Uh, he became a friend of mine when I got to the NFL and I just, I saw who he was and he just went all in on mm-hmm. who that was. Because people already were telling him he was that. Right. So when people started attributing the black hat to me, I was just like, fuck it, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be the villain. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm be the villain. You, know, you want to be the golden child, I'm going to, I'm gonna whoop your ass, and right. I'm gonna tell you about it. And I don't, I don't know why, I, I don't know why I did it. I wasn't that guy. I didn't think that way. I just wanted to be like, I'm just this redneck from Montana who loves sports and wants to be liked. That's yeah. that's pretty much yeah. who I was, and and I never really truly could be that guy. And and when things get tough and when things get bad, um, I, my talent wasn't wasn't enough to carry me through it all. You forego your senior season and the draft. How did that process come about? Well, I mean, I was coach came to me and said after the Rose Bowl, he's like, you know, the draft, the scouts say you're going to be the first pick Mm. or the second pick. You and Peyton are going to be the guys. Peyton, you and Peyton Manning. So what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go back to college? Maybe get hurt uh, and maybe not play as well because we were going to lose 28 seniors. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm drafted, you know, later where we're talking about maybe, you know, my contract was 30 million dollars as a. 21-year-old kid. So I didn't know what, I mean, that's the only thing I knew what to do. And I also loved the idea that I was so good that I could leave college early to go do it. Mm-hmm. Like that was even a more prideful mm-hmm. thing in all of it. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped at it and went through the whole process. Uh, and, you know, I was the 
going to be the first or the second pick in the NFL draft, and that's the way it all shaped out. NFL Combine, Randy Moss, all these people in your class. What was that like? That was pretty cool. Um, Peyton and I were, were roommates, and we, we, were, we weren't going to do nothing. We looked at each other, and we're like, we're going one and two, man. Let's... <laughs> You know, let's How was he uh, though? How was he as a person? When he's funny, dog. To know him? I we, love we, him. We met uh, during my my sophomore year simply because we both knew we were going to be tied to one another, and our SIDs put us in touch. And back in the day, right where no cell phones, mm -hmm. you had to set right. a time where you're going to be at home when Call your landline you. rings. Right. And I remember me and my boys were all sitting around, we're drinking beers and playing dominoes, and and uh, and the phone rings, and it was that time, and I go pick it up, and I tell him, shh, and I hear the southern draw on the end, and I'm just like. Fucking <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was always that guy because I thought I was. I don't know if I ever felt like I was their peers. Right. Interesting. It was. I should have been because I was just that as good. talented right. and just good, but I just could never. Like after games, I'd be. And not like these days where they exchanged autographed jerseys and like doing yeah. pictures. Like we beat Steve Young and the 49ers in my first preseason game. I whooped his ass and I, and I, walked, I walked up to him and I'm shaking his hand and I'm like, Can still I get, in all. an autograph. You know? And it's so. I don't know. It, I, I still look back at those days fondly, but yeah. it was, it was. I just didn't necessarily think I probably fit. Mm, that's interesting. It's a hell of a class. So when it comes down, I mean, again, he's your roommate in in the combine. It's one two. It, it's a flip of the coin, really. You end up going to San Diego, uh, beautiful city, by the way. What's your first impression of that? Well, that was, you know, and he was really close to drafting me, and my agent and I went to him and said, okay, "Right, doesn't want to go there." All right. I wasn't thinking about the right things. I wasn't thinking about having Marshall Falk and Marvin uh, Harrison in the backfield. You're thinking I was thinking about, thinking about the beach, the babes, <laughs> the money, all that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I was. I wasn't thinking about the right yeah. things. For whatever reason, I wanted. That was the goal. That was always the goal to be a professional athlete. And maybe I didn't. I didn't see past that. And when I got there, I was like, boom. And I also didn't think money was going to change me. I didn't think it. My dad is a two-tour Vietnam veteran. He's worked his tail off. Um, we never wanted for anything. We never saw any money troubles right. they went through, but, you know, they did. Mm -hmm. They just didn't let us see it. And I just thought I would – he was frugal. I just thought I'd, it was – I money changed me. Mm. You know, all those character defects that were there – Are now louder. Were just louder because of the money. Yeah. And I thought that money, power, and prestige made you success. Mm. It's everything I thought I'd seen, right? I had all this money, all this power, and now – the prestige of being a starting NFL quarterback, like no one could tell me anything. Mm -hmm. Tough. You rarely hear someone admit that shit though. Like money changed me. I don't think I've ever heard Nobody anyone said, be yeah. honest about that. You know what I mean? Although it changes a lot of people. It's interesting that, you know, to have that perspective. Um, when you don't experience the immediate success you've had, not only in college, but throughout your playing career, when you get to the NFL, how hard is that? Well, I had immediate success. We won our first two starts. It hadn't happened since 1983 in John Elway. So, like, Pepsi came in and gave me a big deal. Uh, Rolex, Toyota, and I'm just like, Peyton lost his first two starts. I'm like, I'm, okay. I'm killing this All shit, right? right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we, go to, then we go to Arrowhead. Kansas, uh -oh. City. Kansas City. And uh, Who was the quarterback there at the time? Rich Gannon. Hmm. And the week before we played Tennessee... Steve McNair, Eddie George in, in Tennessee, and we beat them. Mm -hmm. And I slide on the turf, and it was in the old Vanderbilt Stadium before they built the, with the new spot. And I, I got a turf burn, and I was wearing these tights outside of uh, my socks, and it like 
melted and burnt into my skin and I got a staph infection that week. Oh, shit. So I was in the hospital all week long leading up to Kansas City. And I was I didn't care I was gonna play. Like I was just tough SOB. I'm gonna show the team I'm here. I'm I'm a winner. So they're bringing film over to me in the hospital and and uh, I go, I fly, um, we warm up, they shoot me up with whatever they needed to, I don't know, it felt like adrenaline. Damn, mm-hmm. I was firing it around. All of a sudden the skies start closing in and dumping and it becomes a monsoon. I complete my first pass and then proceed to go one for 15, for uh, four yards, two interceptions, three fumbles, and like seven sacks. Worst performance, humiliating performance of my life. And it's not just about that. It's what I do after the game. Uh, cameraman, remember back in the day, those cameras with the huge batteries? Yes. Right? Yeah. In the locker room, they're spinning around sometimes while I was standing up, and he spun it around and smoked me right in the head and, like, split me. And I fucking lost it on this dude. Like, dressed him down. I just played the worst game of my life. was completely embarrassed. I, you know, took it out on yeah. a guy, you know? The reporter was inside there. He was a beat writer, documented it. Mm-hmm. Monday driving into the facility. Uh, it's all over the papers, that incident. So um, we do the gaggle, you know, post-game stuff with the reporters. I ask him to stand around a little bit later. Um, and then I proceed to tell him like it is, right? I'm the big, tough, mm. intimidating football player. I grab his ass, I throw him in the chair, and I start motherfucking him up and down. And the cameraman in the corner flips around and starts getting this. And this is the viral video Mm-hmm. Which didn't it was viral videos didn't exist back then right and this was like one of the first ones and that's the picture you see of me acting like a petulant child berating a reporter junior say i was got to come in and grab me he pulls me into the shower turns it on cold he used to call me baby boy uh he said baby boy cool down we'll go get some dinner after this just just cool down and uh it became this big thing right um and then my dad was in town some of his clients and everything like that. And uh, Inside the NFL, which was on Showtime, it was on HBO at the time, and it it played uncensored. Mm. You know, it might, we're all watching it. My dad's all. clients are there watching it at the house, and I'm going, damn. Boy, your son looks great. <laughs> he helps me craft a, an apology. Mm. And if you watch me the next day reading this apology, I don't want to be there. I think, it, I think what I'm doing is wrong. I, I believe I'm the victim in all this. And you can see the disdain. I read it and then that. And just kind of flip it into the locker. Mm. And that, right. and then I fight the media the rest of the year. And I play poorly. You know, you can go be an asshole and go out and ball. And it, it doesn't matter. That's always been my life. Like, I could have been an asshole to everybody else. But I, I, I go get it done on the field. I threw four picks against the Giants the next week. They had a Make-A-Wish commercial that I did up on the Jumbotron mid-game. And it got booed. It was it precipitous. Boom, like that. I don't remember another positive thing in my NFL career, and I would go on and play for four years simply because I couldn't deal with failure in a healthy, positive Mm. way. What was the locker room like? What was the teammates like around this time? It started to get progressively worse because reporters were writing things in the paper. Guys on the team were leaking stuff. Uh, Fake-ass teammates. And I just, I had a a relationship (laughs) with my teammates through the media. Yeah. There wasn't a a real one. There was one guy on the team... uh, I mean, Rodney Harrison was like was my role dog. We did everything together, and I sh- great dude. I should have just I should have grasped it onto their him and Junior's like uh, coattails and just mm-hmm. saw how they did it and and went about my business that way. And I did, and I just I thought I had all the answers, and it just 
there's a reason why at this level you only get one shot. Mm. If you you mess it up, uh, you don't get that you don't get that other shot. When you look back now, obviously very self-aware and accepting of of the way you used to be. When you know when the label's arrogant or too good or any you hear any of that stuff, like how does that make you feel now? I mean, I'm human, right? So any kind of anything critical is just it's hard, it's it's tough, hard to hear, right? But I'm I'm more self-aware. The definition of humility I've found to be is that the guy I look in the mirror at, I'm okay with that guy. That's mm. what humility is. I understand who I am and I'm okay with it. I'm this flawed human being like everybody else trying to be better every single day and I fucking mess up all the time. I'm a new dad, really screwing up with that, you know, you know, raising a kid, being a partner to my wife, all these things, trying to navigate the business world, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're labeled this thing. And also, I'm a seven-time felon. Right. Mm. That's 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 it. That's that's who I am. And I know like I don't take things for granted anymore because I know that I am blessed right. if I do the next right thing, like amazing things happen for me where it doesn't maybe for other people who've gone through the same things I have, mm -hmm. especially guys that don't look like me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really aware of that. And so I, I try to try to be as understanding about it. And when things don't go my way, I just I'm not quick to react and go. Fuck them, you know. I'm just like, I only can control what I can control, right? right. So I'm gonna, I just got to work harder. Right. And uh, I wasn't that guy before, and so I had to be. I had to. I had to wake up on the floor of a prison cell floor, mm. and uh, for me to be humbled. It may, you know, you would have thought when somebody would slap you around the head and said, "Get, get right," or 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 you lose everything, or you're a drug drug addict, all that stuff. It wasn't that. It was, it was waking up on that floor, just going. This is your life, and if you're okay with it, then you can just stay here. When you start getting all this, and like you said, back then it's the papers and, and, and the TV a little bit, but all this negative press, what is that when, what do you do to cope with that? Surround myself with yes men who tell me that, uh, that I'm the victim, that mm. it's their fucking fault, mm. and it's not yours, uh, and then everybody that was... You know, who unconditionally loved me and wanted to show me the mirror, I, I pushed out of my life. Right? Mm. Um, I was the golden goose. So the guys that were the yes men, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna turn down that ride. They All were right. gonna be like, "Oh man, leave. We gotta get you some help. We gotta, we gotta try to write this train." They were like, "I mean, we're going to Vegas every weekend. We're on private planes. You know, the women mm. going to the Playboy Mansion." I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a huge football fan. Obviously, the world misses them, but this is one of your vets. Um, explain your relationship with uh, Junior Seau. Julian, we went to dinner with Julian Edelman and uh, Brandon Marshall that night, and they was, Julian Edelman was talking about him. About Junior Seau, yeah, what kind of guy he was. Well, see, Junior played with Julian in, in, yeah. at the end of his career. Yeah. I mean, he he's the epitome of a football player. Like, it just, dude would show up at six, was the hardest worker, practiced his ass off. And he, I mean, when you go see Hall of Famers, you see Hall of Famers and you see great players and you see, you know, NFL guys. Dude's 6'5", 250 and can outrun everybody, Damn, right? Is that big? Just a monster and played so hard. And, uh, but just like everybody else, like he was a great football player. He struggled with some other things, mm -hmm. right? He struggled with how to, how to be seen in the public and be supposed to be the savior of San Diego, you know, because he's from there and everything like that. I think there's a ton of pressure on him. And then ultimately... You know, he he 
I remember I was, I saw the news when he, when he was in the accident where he drove off a, a bluff in San Diego and everybody was just like, oh, you know, he fell asleep or this, that, and the other. And I, I remember pointing to a couple of my boys down here. I said, that dude, he tried to kill himself. Mm. I knew it because I, I had right. the same feelings. You've been there. And then so when, you know, about a year later when we heard that he took his own life, I was just... I mean, sometimes I have so much survivor's guilt because I'm like, why the fuck am I here? Like, if that guy would have a better message than I would, mm. he would make such a more impactful statement or platform than I would. So I have this guilt around it and uh, because his message would have been so impactful. And um, I miss him. I mean, we, we lost touch for a while, but uh, I think it's a big reason why what I do now is about the NFL Brotherhood. There's mm -hmm. only 27,000 of us ever mm -hmm. in 100 years. Less with you guys, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing guys die alone in hotel rooms. Crazy. Vincent Jackson. Mm -hmm. And I was, and I know exactly how they feel because I was there. I was alone in a hotel room dying. And I couldn't ask for help. And if I did, I didn't believe anybody would be there for me anyway. Uh, and so it makes me incredibly sad, and I don't ever want to see it happen again. So we're, we're trying to be there for one another. That's why people need to see that, Doc, because, like, people don't understand everybody's human, and everybody is going through something. Something. It might not be on TV, you know, it might not be all through social media, on the tabloids, but everybody, regardless, rich, poor or not, everybody's going through something, you know what I mean? And you if you look at assume. life like that... You can never assume, right? you know, and when I get angry at somebody, I'm like... I. I don't know what's going on with him right. or her. Just own your own shit, Ryan, and and, and move forward. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's worked. Now every single day is different. It's a different adjustment and it's different things. But you know, when I decided to do this podcast, it was in the hopes that somebody who needed to hear it and it's evergreen, right? Mm -hmm. You can listen to it tomorrow. Right. You can listen to it a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, if you right. need it or your family needs it. It'll resonate. It's just it's always gonna be there. And that's the transition of when we leave our sports, when we take our uniforms off, because that identity is so who we are. Mm -hmm. And if you were a failed one or if you had a misstep along the way, that's attached to it too and it drags mm -hmm. with you. You have to find that new purpose. What is that going to be? And I didn't know what that was going to be. I didn't know what it was going to be. And now I do. And so there's purpose every morning when I wake up. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. 
So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify has made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. You finish your rookie season on the sideline due to a shoulder injury. Uh, What's that like on the professional level, being there, watching it, struggling, but then not being able to get out there and kind of redeem yourself. Yeah, I've never been hurt in my life, right? Ankle, you know, turning ankle, go up and dunk on somebody, come down on their ankle. Yeah. I still get shivers when I think about that. <laughs> uh, not the dunking part, blowing your ankle out part. Uh, 
but I've never been hurt where I couldn't play. Like bones had to be coming out of my body where I wouldn't play. But I tore my labrum in my right shoulder, which was my life. I couldn't throw the football. So I went and I missed my entire second season where you're supposed to make that jump yep. as a rookie, right? And, and I couldn't do it. And, I, and if I'm not active, like if I'm not moving like a shark at all times, like you don't want to be inside my head, right? It's fucked up, right? <laughs> and so, I, you know, I need help with that. And I just, I, I surrounded myself with the wrong people. I wasn't playing, um, all of it. And every day, because I'm supposed to be the savior, it's written about and talked about and this, that, and the other. And the word bust started being brought up. And I'm just, it just took me down a terrible path. Mm. Um, I ultimately came back uh, and was named the starter in year three. But we had a new head coach. Uh, we didn't win our first two games. I got benched. Um, it's a good story about that in the podcast. I don't know if I should, you guys should go listen to it. I was so angry. I got benched through the media. I was driving in, and I heard it on the radio. And I pulled into the facility, and I walked up the stairs. And head coach's office is, like, hangs over the back, and he's got a balcony there. And I was so, like, I walked in and motherfucked him up and down. And I, I feel like I blacked out. I was like, I don't know if I hung him out over the top of the balcony or something. <laughs> I don't know if his so kids nice were there. Shot. I didn't know what was going on. I was right. just so pissed. And like the impulsive nature of, of a football player and who thought he was wronged and all that shit. So it's it's um, <laughs> the storytelling has been a trip. Mm. 2000, 2001, you was preparing for a comeback. Talk about that. Yeah, you know the surgery, right? You go take the surgery, you go down and work with the specialists in, in Birmingham, Alabama. You get right, you come back, go up against the likes of Jim Harbaugh, who ended up being my backup. I win the job. I go down to Atlanta in our last preseason game and ball, right? Nine for nine on the first drive, a touchdown. Get handed the job. Cover Sports Illustrated, mm. right? Back from the brink, mm -hmm. you know? And we, we weren't very good. I wasn't very good, uh, you know? I, I, I didn't understand what kind of work ethic it took, especially when things got bad. And I didn't realize what I was starting to develop was a mental illness, depression, mm -hmm. right? Because I, was, I, was, I felt lazy. I, I was having a hard time getting out of bed. I felt sad all the time. Um, I wasn't enjoying what I was getting to do, which is what I loved to do since right. I was four years old. Mm. Right? I didn't understand it. I just thought I was, a, you know, I just thought I was weak. And so, after that comeback didn't pay out, and I popped around from Tampa to Dallas to Seattle, I just, I just thought I was so sick and tired of getting beat up mm -hmm. physically and mentally from from critics and everything like that. I just, I thought I'd be able to disappear. Drained, you was drained. I was just physically and mentally done. Mm -hmm. But I thought I had all those things that still made me a success, the money, power, prestige. The prestige was gonna be tarnished a little bit now because I, was, I wasn't I was a starting NFL quarterback, but I was still a former right. NFL quarterback, come on now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd still walk me into Vegas and get everything I need and want and all the, I guess the notoriety. I want, I like being famous, right? Yeah. I didn't care if it was for negative or positive things at that point. People looked at me and I was a rich, famous person. So fuck them. You, you hurt your wrist. Setback. Yeah. What was going on there in your mind? I'm. Uh, they like now this shit. <laughs> I, just, I just figured I, I'm never. I just thought I was never gonna be the guy. I yeah. I was again, and that wasn't okay with me. I also had this mindset that like if I'm not a starting quarterback, then I can't play. Mm -hmm. When I realized that. You, can, you tell me you can pay, like, if these backups now, they make $7, 10000000 million a Crazy. year, and they never take a snap. 
There's a bunch of guys that have played like 10, 12 years that I have more touchdowns and more passing yards than, and they've made 50, 60 million dollars. That's crazy. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Good for them. Right. But that was available to me if I would have just chosen. Instead, right. I'm in Seattle. Then I walk into Mike Holmgren's office and I say, I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Out after four years, right? Thing I wanted to do since I was four years old because I couldn't tell him, like, I'm really struggling here. Damn. Uh, I can't get out of bed. I'm lazy. Uh, and you would have hoped he would have looked at me and said, all right, let's get you. Let's figure it out. Let's get you some help. Maybe I'm a starting quarterback in Super Bowl 40 mm. against the Steelers. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? Who knows? But I, I wasn't capable at that time of asking for help. And I just figured I'll be fine. Football will go away. People forget about me. And I'll just live this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you, damn, you walk away after four years. Where, if you don't mind sharing, like, the drugs came in and how deep did you get into drugs? Yeah. Uh, in Vegas, about three months after I retired, quit. Uh, we're, in, we're at the MGM Grand. I think it was uh, De La Hoya fight or something like that. You guys have been to Vegas for fights. Yeah, have we? Maybe the coolest thing. The energy the closest is crazy. thing to like the adrenaline in the room and everything uh-huh. like that leading up to it. And I like that. Um, and I like Vegas because I wasn't the most famous guy in Vegas, so I could kind of go and do whatever the hell I wanted and people really weren't focused on it. They float under the radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we're there, and when they give you those great seats ringside and stuff, they, they announce who's in the audience. Right. right. So they announced there was Tiger who was in the audience, there was Charles Barkley and Dr. Dre and all these the audience just went nuts. And then and I'm just kind of like, don't, don't fucking say my name. <laughs> don't fucking say my name. And they'd say my name. <laughs> and that whole Grand Garden Arena fucking booed Damn. and hissed. Mm. And it's not like that hadn't happened before. We we go into the opposing right. team stadium, you know. It's supposed to happen there though. Right. right. And you have armor on when you're playing right. football. Like, and you can right. go out and do something about it. Well, my attic mine, because I was a drug a drug addict long before I ever took a drug. I believe that. Uh, my addict mind heard not only you were a terrible football player, but you were a shitty human being. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. And sure enough, an acquaintance of mine that night at a party where there were Super Bowl champions and Hall of Famers where I always felt less than and judged uh, offered me some Vicodin. Now, I'd taken Vicodin my whole life after surgeries. I knew what it did. It worked. It dealt with my physical pain. This would be the first time I took it for my emotional pain. And... They're called painkillers for a reason, man. It did. It didn't make me feel better. It made me feel nothing. And I've been searching for that feeling of not feeling anything for so long. And I found it. And that would be the next eight years of my life, guys. Just chasing that initial, like, not feeling the guilt and shame of who I'd become or what I'd done or what I was going to have to do, all of it. I had friends in high school that got addicted to painkillers. And, and I it was... I saw, I mean, it, from uh, Vicodin to Norcos, and, you know, I'd see kids take 20 Norcos. Like, how was it that heavy? <laughs> I had to take 100 milligrams, so, yeah, it would depend on what kind of potency it was, right? Man. I'm just surprised my liver didn't right. crap out from all the Tylenol that was in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I didn't search for anything else. Like, I didn't move on to heroin or something. Like, I liked what it made you feel like, that right? made me feel mm-hmm. like. Like, I wasn't looking for uppers. I wasn't looking for Coke or anything like that felt like I was already wired. I wanted to be sedated. You know, I didn't want to feel anything. I didn't want to feel all that failure. I didn't want to feel when people booed me or told me I was a piece of shit or, or a bust. I didn't want to feel any of that stuff. And this worked. Now, it goes away quickly, and that's what the, 
what tolerance does and what your addiction does. Then I had to, then I had to chase it. Mm -hmm. And I had to chase it so I didn't feel that way ever. And I would look in the mirror every night thinking, you fucking junkie, you piece of shit. But the only way to get rid of that Take more. Let's take more. Because then you don't feel like it. It's this vicious cycle, the psychology Ooh. of it all. And I would find them. I ultimately started breaking into houses, right? In my, around my hometown um, to find these pills because I didn't know a drug dealer. And they were in my hand. They weren't even in my system, but they got in my hand. I'm leaving a house. I'm getting in my car going. They were in my hand, and I knew everything was going to be okay for, Damn, for six for hours, a little right? Bit, right, for a little bit. So arrested on burglary, theft, drug charges in your hometown, bad Mike. Bad criminal. I'm a bad criminal. How does it... <laughs> are you still so much in a fog that you don't realize, like, damn, like, I was the man here, got out. Now I'm back in my hometown for the wrong reasons, doing the wrong thing. Did yeah, it hit you then or hit you later? Nothing hits you then because... All you're chasing is that. You don't care what the consequences are. You're chasing that high. You're ultimately, the ultimate not feeling anything would be to die. Mm -hmm. Then I wouldn't feel anything ever again. So I was like, at that point, after I got arrested, I got arrested on a, like a Friday uh, and I bonded out because I was so fearful. Um, But then I didn't have pills and I had to go figure out it and I couldn't figure it out. So I Googled how to kill myself. I slipped my wrist. You can see the scar still there. I see it every day. It's a reminder. It didn't work. I went and found more pills. I took them um, and got arrested for the second time in 48 hours. And then, then I wouldn't get out after that one. Mm-hmm. So about 32, 32 months in prison. And that's where you kind of felt like you hit rock bottom and to, there was nowhere up. It wasn't even that, you know. I almost felt like that, okay, this is where, I, this is where life is. So I don't think I ever hit rock bottom, to tell you the truth. Okay. Like rock bottom is when you don't get back up. When okay. you are gone. Yeah. That's rock bottom. You know, I, I bounced. I didn't, and it, for how long ever it took me to figure out how to be a, a human being, it, it took what it took. And so, um, and luckily I'm still here because a lot of guys, and in particular, I think that the fact that I was famous and the consequences were quick and severe and the spotlight was on me. I feel I could save my life because there's so many of my peers or people who go through what I went through, do it in the shadows or do it in the dark, and then they're gone, mm-hmm. and no one knows. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people say to me, like, hey, you know, uh, that must have been so hard to do in the public eye. Um, yeah, but it probably saved my life. Right. Because if it would have been in the dark and no one would have seen it, I would have been dead. Right. Yep. What was it like once you got out? Where was your mind at at that particular time? Well, you know, I had hope. And I had developed that hope because of the things I told you guys about earlier where I started helping guys, being of service. But I had nothing, right? I did have my mom and dad who, God bless them, unconditionally loved me. They never wanted a famous football playing son. They just wanted you, me. Mm-hmm. And they were there outside the prison that day, December 3rd, 2014. And they picked me up. Now, I had nothing. I had no money left. I couldn't rub two pennies together. I had no place to go. I had no prospects like, you know, Fox and ESPN weren't coming, knocking on my door. Hey, Ryan, you want to come, you know, work for us? Nothing. I had a credit score of like 500. Um, Girls weren't lined up to date me. I, I just had this hope. It was maybe... I don't know. So when I get back, my parole officer's like, 
I wanted to go to treatment. I knew I needed to go to treatment for physical. It's like 325 pounds. Damn. I had a stroke out from high blood pressure, and I needed, I needed physical and emotional rehabilitation. So I asked to go to treatment. He's like, no. We don't hear that. Guy gets out of an institution, wants to go to an institution again. I said, you're going to punish me because I'm on a set of precedent? Uh, so I st got stuck there in that hometown, in my parents' basement, on their couch. Now, that's more than a lot of people get when they get out of prison. Right. Right? They don't have anywhere to go. So they go back to doing what they're doing. So I'm incredibly grateful, and I understand that I had much more than a lot of people get. I had a roof over my head, which started. And then I thought, okay, what was I doing in there? How do I go about doing that? And it was about being of service. So I started, I was a Nike rep. I had Nike. Nike was my, my endorser. And I, you know, every year we get that allotment. And I spent it every year. And I kept all that stuff. And it was mm -hmm. all in a storage facility. Mm-hmm. So I started going to my storage facility, and when guys that I knew in prison were getting out, I put together a duffel bag, yeah. and I would go down to the mission. And I said, if you were in Great Falls, Montana, in the winter of 2014, you saw the most swagged out homeless and <laughs> people you could imagine. Using, <laughs> using Jordans and uh, uh, everything, Nike. And I got rid of it all. And I didn't tell anybody about it. I just went and did it. Um, and then I started volunteering that stuff and either my parole officer saw what i had done and there was some evidentiary proof he let me go to california to seek treatment and that's where this all started and how i got to la and it really paved the way for for how i got here to you guys what's up i'm john wall and i'm cj toledano and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called point game we're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. 
get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. How long do you feel like it really took you once you got to that uh, treatment facility to feel like, what, what do we call it, a new person or yourself? Or what would you call it? I don't, I mean, it's, I'm ever evolving still. I'm, I'm better today than I was last year at this Absolutely. time. So, better you, yeah. And that's always going to continue. And once that starts stopping, then, then I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board, right, and figure out where I'm, where I'm, where I'm messing up. A um, couple weeks into treatment, prison still kind of in my head. I was watching TV, guy comes in, wants to watch something else, and I just kind of, you know, big, big timed him a little bit. Like, Fuck you, get the hell out of here. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy, and when I say, when I say fuck, I, it, it kind of, it's, there's a incentivized way about the way I do it, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I can't imagine these people there looking at this dude who's six, seven, you know, at the time, 280 pounds or something like that, you know, like being impulsively angry and they're going through their own stuff. And then when I got shown the mirror, like, Ryan, this is who you were in this moment. This was old behavior. I was like, fuck you, I'm gone. That's always been my thing. And I left treatment. But the difference in me that time is I went back and said I was sorry and asked if I could come back. And I'd never done that in my life. I'd always pointed my finger at everybody else and said, it's your fault. Right. And that was the switch. And I, I think back now, to it now and I feel like that was the switch, the change that interesting. That was completely 180 degrees different than who mm-hmm. I'd been my whole life. So you get out of treatment. Um do you feel like you can accomplish anything at that point? You feel like you can. Right. But then you realize I gotta go get a job and the job pays 15 bucks an hour. Mm, and you've made millions this already. This is the story, right? I went and got this job working in a recovery house. I was gonna be a driver for the guys who were newly sober and everything like that. And he tells me it's 15 bucks an hour. 
and the only reason I say that is because I was making $5 million a year and I felt like a, I, I was miserable and I was a miserable person. And this guy had just offered me a job for 15 bucks an hour. And I, like, I felt more value than I'd ever felt in my life. I remember that first paycheck. It was like $328 and something like that. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to my parents. Like money, I know what money's for now. Mm-hmm. Money makes the lives better for my son and my family. It's not about me. And every time I had any money in my pocket, I made it about me. And it just exacerbated my character defects. So um, I understand the value of it and the inherent value it gives me and, and what it makes me. Being uh, someone who speaks on your past and kind of a public speaker now, what is it that you preach and, and hope that people take away from listening to you? That if I can do this, anybody can. Right. That my hope is to destigmatize mental illness and substance abuse. Everybody deals with it. Everybody Absolutely. goes through it. Whether you know somebody, you've been through it, or, or you've dealt with it yourself. Uh, and, and it's okay not to be okay. Like, we're all fucked up. And I don't think that the last two years couldn't have shown that better to all of us, right, right. right? And how we need to be here for one another. Like, every life is precious uh, and, and fully understanding that. So um, that's the hope. And then the understanding is that it can never be about me again. So when I go speak somewhere, it can't be about me ultimately at the end getting some applause for sharing my story, but it's about that one individual in the back of the room that, take that couldn't take his eyes off me because yeah. guess what? Uh, you know, he knows he's, as soon as he gets home, he's got to get some more pills to make mm. sure his life is in order. Right. And so, uh, like I told you guys earlier, I, I, I would never have the impact that I'm going to have if I'd just been a good football player. Mm-hmm. This is your path. Crazy, but path. Uh, back in TV and radio now, talking football. Yeah. I mean, you start grinning instantly. How good does that make you feel? Football gave me everything. And for a long time, it was toxic for me. But football didn't do anything to me. I did it to myself, um, and I love talking about it. I've I've forgotten more football than most people know. Right. Right? And um, I'm really good at it. I didn't know if I was going to be good at it or not. And I went and shadowed guys that have been in the business for a while, and I'm like, I really would like to do that. And luckily, and I don't take this for granted anyway, people have given me opportunity when they didn't have to. Like, these... These corporations didn't have to. Like, you know, when I fill out the background background check, right, I'm I'm a felon. Mm. And that's always going to be there. Yeah. Right? So if I don't get hired because of that, there's consequences to my action. I fully understand it. Um, my hope is that they get to know me. They see how hard I work, how good I'm at what I do, and my character is different from what they know in here. And that's what you want to see when people get out of prison. Every Everybody. And so we do a ton of work. Uh, with with my my foundation and anybody I can to help those, so the recidivism rate goes down. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't want people going back because this country loves guys going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they plan just, on yes, the plan, keep making the plan. that money, privatizing yep. these prisons, mm-hmm. big business. Uh, I and I was in one in Montana. I was in a private for profit prison, and so I see how it works. Right? It's more beneficial for DAs and uh, uh, judges to send you to prison than anything, yeah. than anything else because if you're not in there, there's, the state's still paying per bed, whether yeah. it's filled or not, right. a, a, a cap uh, on it. So we're working hard for it. I mean, I don't get down when things don't go right because I'm like, 
we're just gonna we're gonna eat a piece every day. Somebody told me something. How do you eat? How do you eat an elephant? And you're like, one bite at a time. Man. Yeah, be part of the solution. Okay. Mm-hmm. Real quick, coming down to the end, um, fatherhood. What does that mean to you? And like you said early on, you you struggled that at the beginning. Where are you at in that process? Now? Uh, best thing I've ever done. Right. Um, there's something about when they lay them in your arms and you realize, or this wave of selflessness just overwhelms you. Like everything I do from this point on is going to be about him. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I'm fearful. Um, you know, you know, DNA, mental illness, I'm fearful of all those things, but I also have a lot more knowledge on how to go about being a, a, a dad differently. My dad, I love him. He's my hero. You know, he came home from the war. They spit on him. He wasn't really vulnerable or transparent or anything like that. So I never saw it. I'm, I, I want my son to understand fully that like, it's okay to show that it's not weakness. It's, uh, it's actually a strength and, uh, and you'll be more relatable to people and everything like that. So, I mean, he's only four right now. All he cares about is, uh, it's gymnastics training, but he calls it ninja training right now. There you mm-hmm. go. So he cares about that, transformers, mm-hmm. uh, and his swords. And so, uh, you know, we're working on working on the things that we need to work on. I got a great partner mm-hmm. uh, who helps me along the way. She uh, she produced the podcast as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really talented, and she knows me better than anybody. Um, so she, she she can call me on my shit better than anybody. Being a parent. Like we have a lot of success in sports, but what is what do we have that's really ours? Like that's that feeling you have. Like I, I got kids too, and when I felt my youngest daughter, and I already had kids, but just the feeling of holding it, like you have some that's yours that you can say that's actually yours. Material things, no, not like that. But you made this child. This is your seed. You know what I mean? The feeling of saying something is actually yours is the best feeling of being a father for me. And and I never understood it, and I'm so glad. I didn't have a child until I was ready mentally. Right. Yep. 40, 40 years old is when I had my kid, you know, and um, so grateful for that because he's, he's never going to see his dad as a fucked up addict or, or a guy that, that yells at people. And, and I mean, it's, he's just never going to see that version of me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really appreciative for that. Yeah. Nice. Quick hitters, first thing that comes to mind, let us know. If you had a life message put on a billboard, what would it be? It is what it is. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Stuck on an island. Three movies or shows you will watch on repeat. The West Wing. Okay. Nice. Uh, let's see here. I'd probably, oh, Miracle. The hockey? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what else? What is one? Oh, Black, the Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. that's that. I've I've seen that a thousand times. Yeah, me too. It's probably in the works. But if you had a biopic of your life, who would play you? Oh, I don't know. Um, I got a buddy named Jeff Stoltz. Uh, he's an actor. I train with him sometimes. He played quarterback. Uh, I like him. I think I think he would do. He could pull it off. I think he would do a hell of a job. We've, to your point, we've been talking to people, and I think a couple of the people they've um, approached is like Chris Pratt or uh, Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which, you know, cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want it to be a buy. I want it to be a documentary. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I don't know. Did you guys ever see I Tanya? No, I heard. Uh, I want it. If I could do it that way, I would do it in that format. Kind of make it self-deprecating and have a comedic flair to it because it's a right. serious subject. But I want. It's kind of like how I take myself. I don't take myself very seriously. Yeah. Subject seriously. Yeah. But I, I don't take myself. Laugh very at seriously. my pain. Is that yeah. what Kevin Hart said? Laugh yeah. at my pain. Yeah. Give me your top five college programs of all time. Uh, Washington State one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, UCLA basketball. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, we played whew, O'Bannon brothers, Toby Bailey, J.R. Henderson, yeah. uh, Tyus Edney, all those mm -hmm. boys running to the national title that year. I fit, that's where I fit. That's really where I figured out, like, you're not playing basketball. <laughs> um, in Notre Dame. Yes. I grew up a West Virginia fan, Major Harris. Oh, yeah. He was a quarterback for that team. Nice. Was my, I remember him. I wanted to be him. Mm -hmm. And so I, I put him up there. I put that team up there and what they were able to accomplish there in Morgantown. I love the Bulls. They were during my the 90s run. But GP and the Sonics for me with Sean Kemp and Detlef and, and McMillan and just uh, OP. Mm -hmm. All the Polonese. All those dudes. Used to be a fake police officer and pull people over. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me. Vin Baker. Yeah. I would fly. I had season tickets for the Sonics, and I'd fly up in GP and Vin and Everett Rashad Lewis uh, there mm -hmm. at the end. We all go out uh, to Julian's, a billiard place up there in Seattle, and we would <laughs> we play crafts and play pool and drink our faces off. Uh, man, I love those guys. They didn't they didn't care at all when my career kind of went. To, they just still loved you. They wanted to embrace me. So that's that's Sonics team mm -hmm. that played the Bulls in '96. Mm -hmm. That. Like '95, um, that that team was. That's one of my top five. So, five dinner guests, dead or alive. Uh, John F. Kennedy, Michael Jordan. Um, Kobe, uh, Kobe and I came into the leagues at about the same time. Me in San Diego, he in L.A. His assistant at the time and my assistant went to the same high school. So okay. we did a lot of things together. Oh, interesting. His career started going like this. Mine started going like this. I remember he called me from Italy one time. It was just like, he was like trying to be my therapist during the process. Mm -hmm. That's kind of his mentality mm -hmm. and where it got to. So definitely, definitely, I still have his uh, original KB8 Adidas. We go to games and he'd give them to my brothers and I got... Two. The black one with the white stripes. Yeah, yeah I got the, the white ones with the, with uh, the, the purple black. ones too. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, crazy eights. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so so Kobe would be one of them. Two more. Two more. Okay, President Obama. Um, and uh, um, I'd probably say Aaron Rodgers because I think he's an amazing football player. But I'm on, I'd like to know what the fuck's going on in that mind sometimes. Right. <laughs> I'd like to ask Pepper in with questions. Yeah. We played golf a couple times, but it was not the fight. I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. yeah, those 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 are probably five guys I'd probably want to have. Last question: If you could have a guest on All the Smoke, who would it be? But before you answer your, before you answer this question, you have to help us get your answer on the show. Ooh. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I got it. I got it. Accept um, the challenge. I accept that challenge. Um, I would say um, I always find it uh, incredibly. A guy named Rob Mendez. Okay. Why have I heard that name? Me too. He is a he is a guy with no arms, no legs, 
Did the coach? Meaning coaches. Yes. Yeah. In the football, yeah. Yes. And I played football with him on, on Tuesday night of this week. And I had him on my radio show this week, too. And I was, you know, I read this book in prison, Unbroken, about Louis Zamperini, who was an unbelievable sprinter out of Torrance, California here. Went to the Olympics in the 30s in Nazi Germany. Uh, and if it weren't for a guy named of Jesse Owens. Ooh, you would have won. You would have won, yeah. right? Uh, he comes home. He goes to war. He gets shot down uh, in a plane. Lives for 40-some days on, in a raft. Um, gets thrown in a POW camp with the Japanese in the, in the Pacific. And then gets out. And I thought to myself, I'm like, like if that dude can go through all of that and then come out as a better man. And it wasn't until he got home that he found he had a ton of problems until he addressed him and fixed him. And I'm like, so I look at a guy like that who has no arms and no legs but continues to wake up every day with this optimism and this yeah. drive. And I would recommend it. The dude is amazing. I would, I, that's a great suggestion. And I got you. Well, Jack, would you like you. to do what you normally do at the end of the show now? Well, we don't like our guests to come and leave empty-handed. Okay. But for you guys, you have to go to all the smoke dot store to get yours. But for you, my brother, <laughs> this guy, we got you. Some apparel and a nice little all the smoke bag. We're coming bag through. So we appreciate you coming and your time. Yeah. Honestly, bro. Well, I yeah. appreciate you guys taking the time. I mean, uh, I mean, when you have a platform, use it. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, like I said, I. First time really getting a chance to meet, but we're not too far off in age, so I've always followed your story. And I just say I'm, I'm a fan of the person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the humility, the being able to look yourself in the mirror, be able to bounce back and, and just understand why you're here. You know, like you said, you could have played 20 years, but your purpose was to go down this to help people. And yeah. uh, that's something that, you know, we don't, we don't get every day, especially in, in these kind of times. I mean, we just want to say we really appreciate you, man. Best of luck on continuing to, again, better yourself fatherhood, and, man, everything else you have going on. He is real as they come. He is real as they come. You know yeah. what I mean? So you, you, you cross a lot of people, and and they you can't really relate to them because they ain't went through nothing. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the best people that I consider friends are the people that I love to be around are the people that went through something. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you can learn something from them, and you can, you can also build. So yeah. I, I, I appreciate you being here, bro. And like I said, coming on the show, because the guy from Entourage, he called me. Kevin called me yeah. in my DM. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We talked about it a while back, yeah. so I'm glad we made it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kevin's been great. Uh, he's a big sports fan. Mm -hmm. I mean, I told you guys, you guys are, like, we're the same age. Mm -hmm. There's a real house. I watch yep. y'all play. Mm -hmm. okay? Appreciate and so, that. Uh, this is mean. This was meaningful for yeah. me too. Yes, this sir. is a kid from Montana. There you go. Well, I appreciate that, <laughs> man. Thank you, yeah, man. That's a wrap. Ryan Leaf. You can find this on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platforms. Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. L.A. This is all a smoke. A production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. At Bed Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.